0: Hi, everybody. Before we begin the show, I'd like to remind you that I'm on YouTube with film critic Kyle Gothi. The channel's called Kyle and Nick on Film. We critique three movies a week. You can follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram. We do have a Patreon for the channel. Check out the Patreon for some great deals and be able to tell us some movies we should review in the future. So please check out Kyle Nick on Film. Like, subscribe, comment. We appreciate it as much, and please enjoy this episode of our show. Thank you. Yeah. We're here with Madeline. She knows it's uh, dedication time. Madeline, what would you like to dedicate this episode to?
1: Um, I think I'd like to dedicate this episode to, um, I don't know, I guess to the people. I'd like to dedicate this episode to everybody who loves film Everybody who, you know, are, are just obsessed uh, obsessed with film as we are.
0: Okay. I love it. That's-
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast with your host, Nick Palladichuk. Each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Polillo, and thanks for listening, and thanks for finding us please give us a review and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera,
0: action. All right, welcome back to the show. And today we have
1: It is Madeline Carita all right, Fleming. Good.
0: And you just filmed up shooting a film. Did you just wrap it up principal photography or you were in a movie?
1: Uh kind of all, all all of that. Okay. All of that. I um I got called to do a feature film with a early 2000s pop star, which I, I don't think I'm allowed to say the name, but maybe I should. I don't know. I don't well, know. They,
0: well, if, sus- just, yeah, if we can. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of suspect. Yeah.
1: Because while we were filming, we're not allowed, we weren't allowed to post on social media. Um, I think All that right. was mostly because I feel like if certain people in Minnesota found out that there's some pop star filming a film here, it might get overrun. There might be yeah. paparazzi, and I mean, I'm not above selling pictures to TMZ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. I'm not. <laughs> so, but
0: where'd you guys? If you're done, f- principal, f- you can you tell us where, where exactly, or no?
1: We were actually... Other I in just
0: Minnesota, you can just say Miss Minnesota. It
1: was, well, we just finished principal filming yesterday. All right. And after a month and a half of being in Duluth, it was okay. being filmed in Duluth, Minnesota. And I don't think that the, the people, I don't think the producers and everybody who came from California were particularly ready for what Minnesota weather was like.
0: <laughs> no, especially, I think November, oh, we're good. We haven't hit winter yep. yet. Yeah. That's yes.
1: exactly how they ended no. up being in Duluth because they thought, oh, it's November. We're cool, we're fine, but you're never fine in Minnesota. You're Duluth, never is fine. The, hmm? Duluth is kind of the
0: Duluth is kind of the hotspot now for attracting filmmaking.
1: It um, is. They're giving Duluth is giving a great deal to filmmakers, um, but there's not much in Duluth.
0: No, but it's it's becoming. There's a couple film festivals there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's encouraging the, um, to encourage to the film there as mm-hmm. well. I think there's some credits to give.
1: Um, oh yeah they give they give one of the best credits in the country Duluth Minnesota gives some of the best film credits in the country um and I mean in all other regards if it wasn't in Minnesota (laughs) it would be one of the best sleepy little towns to like film anything in but the weather is always the detractor right because it's
0: right on Lake Superior so
1: oh yeah which was beautiful (laughs) It was absolutely beautiful. Lake yeah. Superior was gorgeous, and then that wind from the from the ice and snow hit, and your whole body turns into Frosty the Snowman.
0: So, other than doing that film, yeah, you've been gone. You haven't been on the show since a year. So, if you want to just kind of what's been happening with you, kind of let our listeners know what's been something new or something enjoyed uh, about you that's been going on. Um, we've I mean, been super busy with the modeling and the filming, as I, you just mentioned before.
1: I have been incredibly busy. I yeah. went through an episode where I was dealing with like a deep depression and it was literally just a journey for the last year, kind of, I guess, regaining my mojo, yeah. like kind of unfreezing myself and regaining my mojo and finding my steps again. And it it's just been a work in progress to get back to where, not even back, up to a, a, a um, Higher level of focus. Okay. And it was mostly just about I I know it always looks like I'm working a lot, but it was just a part of trying to find refine myself after taking this journey from depression because it's just not easy. But I don't know. For me, having these things and these goals was a good way to heal myself. Good.
0: Yeah. Because I've been dealing with a health problem as well. And that's why I haven't been doing a lot more episodes on the show. So and I'm getting better. Hopefully it's gonna this when I've been dealing with this tonight, this is gonna be away eventually in a couple of weeks. But yeah, I can relate to t- Oh yeah. It, it sidetracks. And then when you try to get help, people think, Oh, you're an artist, so you must have you probably need to talk to like a therapist or something. Yeah, like, yeah. They just yeah. assume
1: that we're crazy. But yeah. I but for me, you know, um, having depression, which lots of people do have depression, it's hard to get people to listen to you because if you have something that people can see, then everybody goes, Oh, get better.
0: Right. If you have a knee s- knee problem Like, oh, I feel so bad for you. I
1: feel so bad. Do some yoga. You got this. When you have a problem that is happening to you internally, then, you know, obviously shake it off. Walk it off. You're good. And for me, um, the only way that I really know how to heal is kind of throwing myself back into the ring of projects. And I mean, it was it was absolutely hard. And doing this feature film... um, with, uh, I'll just say it, it was with Christine Million, which uh, I don't know if you guys know her from the Step Up series, or films with Nick Cannon, or the Disney Channel, or all of those things, but she literally kind of pulled my head out of my ass (laughs) at the time, you know, because it was, it's, depression becomes comfortable. No matter how weird it is, people become comfortable in places that they just shouldn't be comfortable in. And I think the work kind of pulled me out of, pulled me out of myself. Um, I also did a feature film myself. Yeah. I produced that this year. Um, we had talked about Ouroboros before.
0: Yes. And we talked about that. If I ever get a tattoo, it will be...
1: Ouroboros.
0: Yes. If I ever get one. Yeah. You
1: should. You should get one. Why not?
0: I know. If anybody don't know, it's just, it's just snake eating its tail.
1: Yeah. It's an yeah. uh, alchemy symbol, which actually, this symbol actually existed before uh, the written word. It was, we found it as a symbol on a wall in a cave.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. And we talked about it with art history class in college. Yes,
1: definitely. Yeah. Um, and that, that kind of went off without a hitch. I somehow, the universe has decided that it was going to help me out in that predicament.
0: If you want to just refresh people that are listening, mm-hmm. um, just give them a little tidbit of what the plot is Ouroboros. It's a little bit like a horror, isn't it?
1: Ouroboros is definitely a horror film
0: okay all under right. no
1: circumstances will you ever think that this is a film you should take your kids to you know what's crazy is that we had a opening at the theater and it's it starts about nine o'clock and everybody gets in there and the audience is packed and somebody actually brings their child to it and I'm like you saw the trailer you know that this is not for children <laughs> so at some point we're sitting right. in there and then there's a five-year-old crying and i was just like it literally says not for children yo it literally says that um but as i said yeah somebody literally did bring their child and they were like i can't believe you would play that and i was like what about it? what <laughs>
0: where can people if they're interested find so they can watch it or Boris.
1: Um, ouroboros um Boris was supposed to be on tubi in october and just being gangster, I did not have time to set that up yet, okay. Because in the middle of October, when I was setting it up, yeah. I got called to do this feature film with Christine Million, and I'm a one woman team. I do not have a whole team. I know that it seems like
0: an agent and it, management, right? I have
1: right. an agent and some management, but nobody really outworks me. So I ended up, so I end up just kind of managing myself, because I noticed that whenever I have an agent. They never bring me as much work as I bring myself, like
0: ever. So I'm sorry that is kind of funny though. I, I, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Take you, it can with, you can right? laugh. You can laugh because it is funny because yeah. I outwork usually, my agents. You usually, think it's the other way around, right? Yeah,
1: it's usually the other way around. There's a lot oh. of actors that take pictures and just assume. Well, that's how I'll get work. No, no, that's not how I can operate, and that's not how successful people can operate either. Successful people go, okay, well, this person is a that agent is a resource. Not something you should depend on. It's not. It's not something that you can go. Well, I'll just kick my heels up and let them do the work. That's that's not how this game works.
0: Yeah, I understand. I get. I get it. Like it's a resource. So it's a little bit delayed, but eventually we'll get on Tubi.
1: Yes, eventually okay. we're going to go on Tubi because uh, this is my first twenty four hours not working on a film set for fifteen hours a day for the last month and a half. Okay. So I get
0: it. it's hard to just decompressed from the whole energy of filming.
1: Yes, it is. It is. Because, like, I'm still used... Like, as I talk to you, I realize that, like, I'm still, like, on my toes. Just because when you're doing films, um, it is a constantly evolving process where you think you might be doing something, but then at the last second you have to do something totally different.
0: If I can relate to, like, when I do cons for a Mm -hmm. weekend, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you're there for 12 hours, eight hours a day, Mm -hmm. those three days... You need a day after, even though it seems like you're sitting, but you're constantly working, talking, and engaging. You're not really eating lunch and everything. It's a total hustling aspect, constantly hustling your stuff and talking and meeting people. Mm -hmm. And then you need like two days to recover from that.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, mold. definitely. Yeah. I told myself I was going to do this and I was going to do that and I was going to go do this and that. And yeah. when I made that three hour drive back, all I did was sit down and go to sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know? I, 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 then thinks like after you make a movie, it's time to party and go to the clubs and everything. But it's, mm-hmm. it's a, I mean, it's a whole process kind of takes a lot of energy out of you
1: it does it does i i totally did think that it was saturday night and i was going to be uh you know twerking on a handstand on a bar because i had just finished and we were going to sell no that that did yep. not happen i am a total adult now <laughs> adulthood do not recommend i give it one star
0: paying <laughs> bills right yeah paying
1: bills <laughs> one star
0: so the last time we talked we were talking about or boris and this new feature film but uh you know what? You never really get to talk about the movies that you kind of enjoy because we always talk about what's going on with you. And if you want to just kind of like, what kind of movies did you kind of gravitate? Did you like research for Ouroboros? Like, so horror movies, what inspired you or something like that? Or
1: um, with Ouroboros, I, you know what? It wasn't about research. It was, I was trying to do a horror movie before um, a couple years ago, right?
0: Yeah. And because you've written this too.
1: No, I did not write this. Oh, you didn't write it. Actually, somebody else had written it, and their idea was that it was a good idea. It was more like an idea, and then it came time to actually make a movie, and then me and Brandon Cole kind of took the idea of the original writer. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Cole from Deathcom Studios. Shout out to the homie. Um,
0: I think yeah, he doesn't. He does his own. He's got a film that he did up in Duluth too.
1: Mm-hmm. He yeah. definitely does. He yeah. is. Hello, Brandon. Brandon is amazing. Brandon is an amazing like director. But when it came to that, me and him just kind of got together, and then we started developing the idea. We started um, growing the idea. And the original concept was it was going to have that big, burly Texas Chainsaw Massacre cliche killer. But it was the setting was a club. And I'm like, there's no way in hell that this big scary man would walk up to you at a club and you'd be like, yeah, let me just leave my drink around him. You know, and I hate to say it that that's that is a uh, terrible cliche in a film, because in real life, you're not going home with people who look like they're going to string you up and wear your face as a mask.
0: Well, yeah, we've, um, it's wonderful that you brought up of horror films with cliches, because Effectively, I mean, you have to when you write something, you have to engage it. Eventually, you're going to come across a cliche, Mm -hmm. and you can uh, try to stray away from it or embrace it. But something like that is too right. is too awkward. We've seen it before. It doesn't really play into the environment. Mm -hmm. You want somebody kind of blend into the environment of why they're there to cause mayhem.
1: Yeah, that's and exactly what it is. You you want somebody like who's gonna be bl- who's gonna blend into the environment. Like yeah. the reality is nobody's doing that. <laughs> Nobody in reality, you're not going to go anywhere with a big giant scary person. You're yeah. just not.
0: And then the other end of the spectrum. When I critiqued the movie Barbarian, I told my review was they completely embrace cliches throughout the whole process, which made it effective. Mm-hmm. It's raining out. She's goes to <laughs> Airbnb, but it's always been renting up with this strange dude. Every step of the way, she should have said, no, I'm done. I'm leaving. And she didn't do it to the point that she goes down the basement. You're already comfortable going to the basement. And you're like, oh, the basement. Why did you go down there? But <laughs> you're already enjoying the process of her already doing the already. wrong steps through all the, all the red flags. Yeah. Right? She takes the guy's picture that the other guy that's living at the house and for the ID to make sure he's telling the truth. And rather than go Googling searching, she becomes like, oh, he's kind of cute. I would <laughs> you want to kind of research kind of right away who this guy is, right? I'm that's why be... I enjoy Barbarian. It it embraced <laughs> the cliches, and it's effective. But something like your story, you needed something, a little change of cliché,
1: right? So, so in her defense... Um you know, it would be pretty hard to check scars guards. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't want to Google it, you know? I'd be like, oh, really? You might kill me, but you also look like that, so.
0: Yes. Did you he, see it yet?
1: No, I haven't seen I was working when it came I out. I was see. literally, I have literally been at work on a film set (laughs) like
0: 15 hours a day then right and then what do you want to do when you get done filming you want to watch a movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. right
1: you know what i never stop watching movies during that oh really i never do like for me it is a um really escape system it's my healing it's my yeah for me it's part of my coping mechanism it's part of my happiness like my love language is film so it's something that I find is healing and relaxing, but also can it, it it has a strange power over me. So I watch film even when I'm tired of film.
0: I already had when I, I if I could share. I I had a huge love of movies when I was a kid, of course, because mm-hmm. I was just growing up just watching movies. And then I worked at the video store when mm-hmm. I was in college for the first three years I was in college, and that was kind of. I didn't have a lot of friends in college. I didn't have. I had a lot of friends in high school, didn't have a lot of friends in college. Mm-hmm. I worked a video store almost well over 60 hours a week and go to school, college. Mm-hmm. So that was my life. College, work, yep. and then the movies kind of became my friend because it's really only interaction was customers, teachers, and then the movies was a way to see other sides of the world. And I kind of probably fell in love with more movies working at the video store when it's just me and nobody else
1: uh-huh.
0: for 18-hour shifts. And you can just say, all right, let's check these movies out. So, yeah, I understand the coping mechanism of it because mm-hmm. I'm never going to go to Mexico. Maybe I will. but You
1: might will. You still have time. I know I'm going I to Mexico. love movies that
0: show you areas that you've never seen before.
1: Oh, yeah. And for me, I started this love affair when I was six years old. I remember sitting on the floor and my grandmother would watch these old movies on Turner Movie Classics. And I remember playing with my Barbie dolls and I had a movie star Barbie doll. And, uh, you know, I, I never hide it where I'm from. I am from the hood. I, am, I was born and raised in the ghetto. And, you know, it, it, never, it never missed me that I was kind of born on the bottom. I was born a slum dog, and it's never missed me that that was kind of the reality I had. But, you know, I had this, this Barbie doll. And it was a movie star Barbie doll and she had the movie star studio and the movie star house and yeah. all of those things. And I remember looking up at the TV and I saw Betty Davis come down the stairs And um, I want to say All About Eve
0: that's going to be the right one, yeah. Yeah, I saw yeah. her
1: I saw her walk her tr- down the stairs. She has stairs. got that dark dress on that yeah. kind
0: of has pops at the hips a little bit. Oh, yeah. The, yeah,
1: and she walks down the stairs and all of her Betty Davisness, like extra grand, extra, I know I'm the shit. And I remember her being like, and that was the moment, you know? And then her um, interacting with Marilyn Monroe at the time in that film, because Marilyn's in it, um, in a very bit role. And then Marilyn showed up and then I was I was done, I was done. Like I always remember the time in which I remember when it bit me. I remember when I fell in love with films like it was yesterday, and it was just you know it's all in black and white. And then just just seeing Betty Davis, seeing Marilyn Monroe, and my life had been forever altered.
0: <laughs> it's a good pick of All About Eve because it's it's the theme is actresses. They're all working together, but. Are you acting at me right now? You know, this is that are you genuine but also trying to that core group of trying to one up each other, maybe you're kinda yeah. deceivement or maybe, you know, you know, it's all like deceivement, lying and cheating, but are you playing me right now or not? But it's that it's that wonderful tale of if you haven't seen All About Eve, it's really well written. Yeah, yeah, and
1: it's well acted. Like and I think for me as a child, that was during the time when I was coming online everybody has that moment where they become sentient. You know, that moment, yep. the AI is going to have that moment at some point in the future. But I think as humans, we all have that moment where all of a sudden we're like, okay, this is, this is is we're online. We are now vibing with the consciousness around us. And for me, that was that moment. And I grew up, uh, by the time I was 14, I was an award-winning playwright, I was an award-winning actress. And then my family explained to me that, you know, there's no future in acting. You know what happens to actresses? They end up sucking dick on Hollywood and Vine. Do you want to end up sucking dick on Hollywood and Vine? I need you to go and become a doctor. And, you know, for me, um, I was terrified. That's, you know. That
0: that sells encouragement, right? It does. Not at all. (laughs) No, it doesn't. You
1: know, but then, you know, and at the time, I was just a preteen. But I had been acting because as soon as I had seen Betty Davis, I remember I went to my grandfather, whose name is uh, who's, who has the same initials as me. And, <laughs> That's cool. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> he also says it's the same initials as somebody that I'm actually. Never mind, we're not going to talk. Get into that on this on this show. But I told him I wanted to be an actor, and he said, "Oh, you do." And then the next day, he picks me up from school, and we drive to the local playhouse in my town. And he goes, okay, then audition. And that was my first job. I got that first audition when I was six because my grandfather decided to listen to me.
0: And it just kind of started, right? You just got thrown into it, right? Oh, yeah, because after yeah. seeing
1: All About Eve, I, I was a ferocious. I would read the TV guide, you know? I would read the TV guide like it was a Bible, I needed to know what these movies were about. You know, it it's been a lifelong obsession. I needed to know what the movie was about. I needed to know who the actor was. I needed to know what time was it going to be on. Like I literally was this walking encyclopedia <laughs> of film as a kid. And you know, by the time I was I was beyond ready to start. And I was lucky enough to have a grandfather that was just like, "Okay, let's go." And I remember getting there yep. and just being like, "Okay, this is my shot." And it's been my shot forever. <laughs> And, you know, even though my other, my other family had been like, well, you know what happens to actresses when they go to L.A., yeah. my grandfather was the only one that said, let's do this. And it's became a lifelong love. It has helped me out in places where I needed it the most. It's my love language. It is, it is, the, it is yeah. how you get to know me.
0: <laughs> well, you and I, we always... Um because we always talk about movies. You message me movies and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. yeah. But um, not because I like talking about movies with you because, you know, it's not just the horror and everything, but you also like the other classics that oh, I yeah. think a lot of people ignore the, all, all the classics. Oh, well. you,
1: let me yeah. tell you about some classics I discovered. Right. I have been having conversations with another like uh, film buff and he introduced me to Cassavetes.
0: John um, Cassavetes?
1: John Cassavetes. did uh, right? yeah,
0: the yeah. 60s indie films? Yeah, the
1: 60s indie films. And I am so enamored by it. I didn't even know he existed until somebody, um, I was getting bored with the pieces that I was picking for like auditions or just read-throughs. Yeah. And I realized that I was always picking me. I was always picking things that felt, you know, in the niche in which I'm normally hired. And then I was just like, okay, pick me something random. And they gave me a monologue from Cassavetes. And it was so raw and visceral. And it was more like me than anything that I had actually ever picked for myself.
0: <laughs>
1: you know? Yeah. And I discovered his films like Faces and Shadows. And now I'm just... I I feel pretentious as hell because now I'm like, oh.
0: Yeah, he was a Cassavetes. catalyst for a lot of... Before New Hollywood. A lot mm-hmm. of New Hollywood. It, it kind of... He wasn't really the... He wasn't part of the New Hollywood. But he... Kind of show those guys, you can do an independent film, personal, and make it, you know, but also be part of the system. Because he got, he's one of the first one to get independent films, but get financing, distribution from major film companies. Yes, and
1: in fact, he is considered the father of independent and experimental films. Yeah, and I didn't understand why when I first got the script, but then when I read this, the not the script, when I read the monologue. I was like, "Wow, this person is, is me. It's it's literally my mindset in a very old, dead white man from the 1960s," <laughs> which was a little surprising to me.
0: He wasn't the, wasn't the tallest guy in the world either. I,
1: I have uh, yeah. every interview I've seen of him is just like him sitting in a chair, like smoking a cigarette, yeah. and that it's just the things he say says, and I was like, "Damn, I so agree with you." wow how did we get here and then I watched a um a, a film that was just so raw um in the film I can't remember what the Cassell I think the actor's name is last name is like Cassell I'm not sure but if you saw a picture of him you would know who I'm talking about and in it it is this desperate housewife um upset with the fact that her marriage is falling apart in the 1960s. So she takes this man home that she meets, and they do what they do. And then she overdoses on sleeping pills. And then the story begins about the choices that he makes in that situation. Like there's a scene where he goes to call the police. Yeah, He grabs the phone, and then you can see that it registers on his face what situation that he is in. And he puts the phone down. And I feel like, you know, a a more modern director would have made it, oh, I can't do this. Or it literally was just so real because that's a real decision. Like, let's say let's say you meet somebody and you're in a situation where maybe you're helping them cheat on their boyfriend or girlfriend and then they start to pass out and they can't wake up and then you realize well if I call the police then this and this and this and this happens and you can see the choices kind of move through his head of what I can do and what I should do and then you see him make that choice without saying a word and there's something so brilliant about that and how it's filmed it's it is the reality that we are seeking to to find in films while also escaping our own reality
0: yeah, especially when you make filmmaking. Um, I don't know if you ever know, but you have to capture the reaction on faces. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much the person saying the line, but the person reacting to what's being said. So you got to capture as, pos- as much as possible the reactions of what's being said. And that's kind of, I would say that's not the most important element of it, but you need to kind of have the basis of what you're kind of describing. You need the reactions of what's happening around
1: you. Yeah. You need the reactions and you need choices. I feel like Casavetti's made the strongest choices by picking the most realistic choices. Yeah, because that's reality. I watched that and I was like, "Wow, that is absolutely what some you know somebody would make that decision based on the situation that they're in." And people do make that decision based on, on the situation they're in. There's lots of people who get into situations and they just gotta lie about it, and eventually, we catch them though but then there's always the moment where you make the decision am i going to do the right thing or am i going to do the, to do the thing that saves me the most and that's an interesting question to be asking in your films and it's an interesting question like audiences i feel like i feel like good audiences like people who want to be challenged by their films want to ask themselves questions they want yep. to be involved they they don't want to be a fly on the wall they want to be an active member And with Cassavetes, it's I found myself so like there's a scene where it mirrors him holding her in like, you know, the intimate way and then him holding her in the shower trying to wake her up. And watching that mirroring was like it went from being a fly on the wall to being like, ah (laughs) "Ah." like, oh, and like it hit a point where I was so intense. I started pacing. (laughs) I'm watching the movie pacing, and I feel like that's the sign of a great film. It's yeah. a sign of a great filmmaker.
0: Yeah, because he would go on to just primarily do an acting in the '70s and '80s.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: if you were a good act, like Brian Topalmo would hire him in his films because it's almost like having a second, experienced second director mm-hmm. that you can like. I don't know how to set the shot up, and then John would be like, "Why do you want to do it? Th- maybe this way, this way." But um, yeah, if you haven't, it, it, he was a wonderful, inspirational for it filmmaking i don't know why he did not continue independent filmmaking. he just later in life he just became a hired actor but um check him out. he has the greatest death ever on horror film in the Fury, the end of the fury
1: I've never seen Grim the Fury, Brian. but I will watch it. I know like oh. I know him in rosemary's baby
0: yeah, um, he's in that too, yeah
1: even though so. I think that like I was been watching his I have been watching his interviews, and he wasn't very proud of that work, even though rosemary's baby is a frickin classic
0: I think he's very. He's very, I would say, obsessive, but he wants to get the right lines all the time, mm-hmm, and you'll mm-hmm. take many takes to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, he, then, and yeah.
1: he's he's also anti the Hollywood machine. He's very anti the grandiose. He's very anti the like over the top. And Rosemary's Baby is nothing but over the top.
0: <laughs> there was a movie we just critiqued on Kyle Nick on film. It's a '80s, 1982. It's called Incubus. He was hired. He's I've a, seen Incubus, and he tries so hard not to make it. A B movie. He wrote some of his own lines to say because he just did not like the script, and he's trying so hard to have something tangible in that, just to retain it. Mm-hmm. But it—that's what I like about John is he knows that what movie it is, but he's trying to elevate it some way or another to make it a little more pronounced.
1: Yeah. Yes, because I think oftentimes it's like I was telling somebody that today. Like I don't care how big of a budget you have, I don't care how much CGI. I don't care how big of stars you have. If you're predictable and formulaic, then that's just what it is. And the audience that you're seeking is going to be okay with that, but it's not going to be the most sophisticated audience.
0: Well, yeah, because it comes down to what I've always mentioned before when I critique movies. Are you presenting something new that I've never seen before? Where is your exaggeration? Mm -hmm. Especially when we are creative people, you have to find where you're exaggerating. And then, is it memorable or unforgettable? Is it something I will always remember that I've seen? Is it something I would totally not forget that I've ever seen this movie? So you can go, maybe shock is something. We mm-hmm. always have to do a shock, right? Somewhere you can shock me. You have to do it. You have to challenge yourself. That makes me see, oh, yeah, I totally remember seeing that movie. Or something memorable, like John Cassavetes works with memorable. I remember I will see that movie. Oh, yeah. And I, put, I combine the both. If it's unforgettable and memorable, it's a great movie.
1: Truth, truth. Yeah. I feel that way about Tetsuo the Iron Man. Um, no. But you know what? Somebody, that title
0: is unforgettable, right? Yeah. It is. And once
1: you watch it, it's yeah. even more unforgettable. Um, you know what? I think it kind of goes with, somebody said something to me today that kind of stuck with me, yeah. and it said, I'd rather watch a uniquely terrible movie than something formulaic. Right. And I stick to that. I'd rather I'd rather watch Toxic Avenger or Velocipaster than to keep watching the same mediocre, formulaic, predictable films. That um, I'm not going to say that Hollywood's been turning out because there's some great films still coming out of Hollywood, but most of the attention is given to these really like ongoing. Formulaic franchises.
0: Well, I think from them standpoint, it's safe, right? This worked before. Keep that. It works before. Let's not Mm -hmm. take a risk and try something daring, which the whole point of making a film, as I mentioned before, you have to shock people. You have to do the exaggeration. You have to find something that makes it an art piece by itself, and not to mention, we you and I are fans of Star Wars. Nobody asked for Star Wars.
1: Nobody asked for Star Wars. And
0: then once Star Wars came everybody in the we need more we need star wars oh yeah
1: but, well before that yeah. gets out there i am a trekkie i like star wars y'all cool people y'all cool but i'm a trekkie all oh. day all day live long and prosper y'all just just I, making sure you know what side people. i'm on don't run up to me with that with that with that star wars <laughs> this yeah. is a trekkie establishment
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love next generation because every scenario is oh my god it's almost like days are lies. maybe we love each other and then it's like oh my god this planet's trying to kill us it's like one <laughs> or the other
1: you know you what guys. i'm gonna be I, I don't know if i should be admitting to this but i had the biggest crush on data 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 the biggest crush on data and that totally co- explains way too much about me as an adult now um
0: <laughs> he's logical
1: I love logical, because for me, that's, you know, I I am, you know, I do have emotions, but like, I kind of love the logical thing. I love it.
0: But you remember that episode where he was the rebound? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't know how to handle it. And he's just asking people like, am I just a rebound? Like, yeah. Yeah. Those were words. And she's like, maybe you want to talk to him about that. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, I, when I watched it, I didn't even know what a rebound was. That's how young I was. (laughs) I didn't know what that meant. I was just like, I like this character.
0: Data Data's got a date. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I I was like when I, I think when I watched that, I was like, maybe twelve. So it was at a weird time period. Oh
0: yeah, twelve, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was a
1: weird time period. But yeah.
0: do you have a Star Trek cosplay uniform?
1: Um You know what, I have not had one. I know, I should be Captain Yerhara, but. You should be Data. I should.
0: (laughs) should Data.
1: That's just so much work. Like I just did a Edward Scissors hands cosplay and it was so much work. It was so much work. But you know what, speaking of Star Trek, that's how I found out what cosplay was. I was the first guy I had ever dated in college. Um, He would disappear for the weekend. And I'm like, I bet he's cheating on me. I, that's what he's doing. That's what's going on. And I didn't know what cosplay was. So I remember going in his house and being like, hmm, well while he's in the bathroom, I'm gonna be sneaky. I open a closet and there's a Captain Kirk uniform. No, sh- no kidding. And I'm like, what the, f- <laughs> what's this? What is going on here? And then, you know, rather sheepishly, he was just like, yeah, I wear it when I go to these conventions, you know? And that was back in the day when it was nothing like what we have now. He's like, I wear it when I go to these conventions. And I'm like, okay, kinky, but you do you. And And eventually he showed me pictures of him walking around in the outfit and like interacting with people. In these very, like, small halls, you know. People were doing this in basements. People forget that these things started in basements. They started as parties at people's houses. They started as little, tiny, like, events and bars. And that's how I figured out cosplay, because it was Star Trek uniform. Oh, and yeah, now, And now cosplay makes so much money. Like, chicks are getting paid to wear cat ears well, and contests. do yoga.
0: I mean, uh, when I was at Twin Cities Con, it was, mm-hmm. you, you get a check, man for best contests if you win the for the day. So it's, it pays off. You know? Oh, yeah.
1: And also, if you're like one of them chicks on the internet with the cat ears on doing yoga, you're making bank. <laughs> you do not have to do too much these days to make money. All you got to do is throw on like some cosplay and give them the... Uh, those faces and pretend that you're not able to actually do anything like peel a banana and you'll make all kinds of money wearing a cosplay costume. Because you're playing.
0: Because right. like, you're playing. It's that role thing, of right? Yeah. yeah.
1: It's because you're, it's not just the role play, it's that there are simps everywhere. Anyway.
0: <laughs> all right, before we go to break, um, do you have a movie this made this year that you're really a big fan of that you want to give a shout out to?
1: A movie made this year? Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to myself no no i'm a big fan of Ouroboros. boris just just putting that out there i mean yeah. you guys should see it i hear that there I, i've is been a... waiting
0: for years to see it man like, i gotta see it yeah. i gotta
1: send you i actually have a private link set up for people who would like to see an early view of it okay and leave a review um
0: i do relieve reviews you know okay cool because i yeah. just
1: did rue morgue magazine uh, a couple days ago. So that was pretty interesting. And uh, I left a review from Frankenstein's podcast. Shout out to Joe Praska. Um So it's been interesting to talk about this film. And I think I, think I have to put up my own film. And I know, we're in, I know we're in Minnesota and y'all big on that humble, but I, I, that's not me. Uh, <laughs> y'all big on that humbleness and that's not I. Um, but yeah, the best movie of the year was Ouroboros, hands down.
0: All right. We'll be back more.
1: Hey, welcome to the last Comic Shop Podcast. A comic book podcast that actually talks about comics. Yep. Each week we open the shop up and read and discuss a comic.
0: Sometimes we pair that up with comic book movies or TV shows. we
1: not. Lots of times it's just comic books and sound effects. Oh, yes. Definitely lots of sound effects.
0: So tune in on all the major podcasting platforms The Last Comic Shop Podcast. Or check out our library of evergreen shows at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com.
1: Welcome back. And now more with the show.
0: Back again with Madeline, and we just learned that you have a streaming channel on Roku. If you have Roku, um, and let's uh, tell us a little about it. What is it um, that you're presenting? Because you talked about John Cassavetes, kind of an inspiration, right? A little uh, bit, um, of, or just independent films, avant-garde films in general.
1: So I had taken over a channel. Uh, as from MCN six, which is the mother channel. And I took over one of their channels and we did a rebranding called the cult or AKA the culture. Why is it called the cult? Because it's provocative. It gets the crowd going Uh, (laughs) in the words of Will Ferrell. Um, And I had thought about it when I walked into it and thought, okay, I want to make an independent channel that's for experimental film artists, that is outside of the norm, outside of the um Hollywood machine. Which I mean, granted, I love the Hollywood machine. I'm not one of those people that are just like, oh, Hollywood. No, I just wanted to make something that actually did offer a space for independent and experimental filmmakers. Because, I mean, if anybody's actually paying attention, film festivals are... 5% of people in film festivals, in films that you get in film festivals, go anywhere. And those films that are telling you that they are independent are still being funded by major companies like Paramount, by Universal. And they just say, you know, this is independent, but it's really not. It's still it is the hand that feeds it is still Universal or Disney. And that's littering the, um, the film festival market. And my goal is to find genuinely experimental, genuinely independent films. And I thought that I was alone in that. And then by chance, I, we had talked about somebody giving me a monologue from John Cassavetes. And then as I did my research, everything that he was saying and everything that he kind of stood for it was me. It was the things that I had wanted for this channel and the things that I knew that I was going to do for this channel. Um, There's something that he says where, you know, if you stop showing what is real, then it kind of becomes this mask. You know, the films that are being made are just masks. There's nothing behind them and there's nothing um, to them. They really don't affect change. They really don't, you know, have any kind of Um, impact on the world around them other than being entertainment and I want this channel the channel that I'm running um, called The Cult to be more than that
0: okay all right if if anybody's interested if they do have some kind of film that fits that criteria how are they able to would they be able to reach out to you to see if they can get it on there
1: oh yeah right now is the best time to do it because we are you know this is the ground floor right now and I remember I, I know this is aging myself, but I remember when I first got cable television and USA Network was new and they would play anything. USA Network would play anything for the first like couple of years.
0: Yeah. I think there was a there was a movie called Death Trap, right? Where the lady is stuck in the high towers. Like, Yeah. Re- yeah. I'm trying to find a copy of it because it's one of the best cable movies. Yeah, it does. is. It but is. Yeah, she's trapped in the building, but it's 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 a tropes, but it's one of the best ones ever made. I'm trying to find it. I think it's called Death Trap if I can remember. And then there was um,
1: USA Up All Night and yeah. there was it was USA movie. Up All Night. Up All Night with Gilbert movie, Godfrey.
0: If you remember the movie P two, it's total rip off of Death Trap on USA <laughs> Network.
1: I do not remember P two. I have very little memories of it because I was a baby when that when it was happening. However the problem is is that my not P2,
0: but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I was a baby when like, you know, USA Network was kicking off its like it what up it was all night. doing. Up yeah. up all night. And yeah. no way should an eight-year-old should have been watching up all night. I mean, I love you parents, but then at the same time my parents were just like, uh, oh, you know, as long as she knows it's not it's real. It's not HBO and
0: it's Cinemax, so you're good. Right. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. but
1: I still had Cinemax and no, HBO. Up, really? yeah, okay. I had Cinemax in my room. As a teenager and as a child, I had Cinemax, and you know my my parents were really young when they had me, so they're like their rules are pretty loose and fast. <laughs> you know, I was the I was the first one. I was the experiment, and I would watch Cinemax after dark. HBO's Real Sex—no seven-year-old or eight-year-old should have been right, watching the, that. Nineties the in the nineties, right? But yeah. in the nineties, there was no such thing as parental controls. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was always a pretty smart kid. So my parents kind of figured that I would figure out that it wasn't real or things like that. But to yeah. tell you, uh, intelligence and emotional intelligence are two different things. I don't care how smart a kid is, the emotional intelligence isn't there yet.
0: Emotional maturity.
1: Right? Emotional maturity is not there. You can, yeah. like, for me, I graduated high school when I was 14. And I think people confuse the emotional maturity with the intelligent part and no no way as a parent should they have been letting me watch real sex on hbo not that they knew you know but
0: but it, it was it was i mean wasn't it the one that was like also they did the cab cab fair confessions everything hbo did that too. taxi like,
1: cab, cab confessions Taxi cab confessions yeah it's almost
0: I- like <laughs> they must have spawned from real sex. Just like we'll yeah. just we we'll just skip the step and just re- put the mic on the in the cab on the way there. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And then David Duchovny and the Red Shoe Diaries. Whew, just putting it out there. Like I should not have been seeing any of that. However, now as a filmmaker, I. <laughs> However, now I'm a filmmaker and I make all kinds of movies, so maybe that they maybe it wasn't that bad in a way, but I remember like seeing some things that had me terrified as an like terrified of being an adult. I was just like, I remember that's how I figured out boys. And I was just like, what is th- I did not like men until I was like 22 after that. I thought it was I, horrifying.
0: I thought when you turn 18, there was like a physical like you would feel you okay now mature no. like a mental like a mental like a light switch like oh now I'm not a kid anymore i thought for sure something was going to happen <laughs> like that like a fully developed, like you know that like okay i get it and then by the time you're 28 like some people just don't they're not they're not they don't have the like the maturity yet yeah i mean but they I remember don't there was something, i thought something like puberty maybe something like that you get puberty like it's very obvious that okay now i'm I thought that was going to happen for an adult. Mm. Oh, wow. Now I'm an adult. That never <laughs> happened.
1: <laughs> kind of like when Homer gets smart and goes to NASA. Yeah. That's kind of what I, you know, that's kind of what we think it's going to like. Like, all of a sudden you're going to be like, and I am the major model of a management. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, all of a sudden you're like, I am smart now.
0: And then he sticks a cram up his brain again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, a that's adulthood. Yeah. That is the best. That is the best conversation for adulthood. That is the best argument.
0: I saw a great shirt at Twin Cities Con. It mm-hmm. said, bring jerk-ass Homer back, not dumb-ass Homer. And I was like, <laughs> yes, 90s jerk-ass Homer instead of dumb-ass Homer. I will love it. Yeah.
1: I mean, Homer's gone through a lot of changes.
0: Yeah. He's as dumb as a dog now. But when he was a jerk-ass, just, just to be a jerk, <laughs> I missed those. Yeah. Bring On the Jer-
1: Tracy All Are we talking Tracy Allman show? Oh, or?
0: like the first five seasons of Homer Yeah, Simpson when he was a jerk-ass.
1: Oh, OK. So yeah. the, we're talking Tracy Allman versus just Fox.
0: Now he's now he's ever since about, about season 10, he's been a dumbass.
1: I mean, he's tired, yo. I know. Homer Simpson is tired. Kids don't care, but kids aren't watching The Simpsons. No,
0: they're barely watching Bob's Burgers.
1: Yeah, like adults are watching Bob Burgers. Let's be real with ourselves. They're watching Rick and Morty. Yeah, well, I mean, adults are watching Rick and Morty. Kids are watching anime. Like, kids are watching Baruto right now. We're the ones watching. I feel,
0: (laughs) right, I feel completely in the minority. And I know I am, that I don't pay enough attention to animation.
1: Um... I've always kind of, I was born in the liquid uh, television era. So I had liquid television on MTV.
0: Oh, you know? yeah.
1: And we'd stay, I would stay up all night to watch Eon Flux. Or, um, so that, the that's thing. That's
0: like, yeah, there, the MTV, the 90s did that.
1: MTV okay. in the 90s, like yeah. I, when I was a kid, you know. Um,
0: that was like, even like when we were in college, like it was either Conan O'Brien or you watching an MTV.
1: And I was in middle school. So for me, it was like being 11 or 12 and being like, Eon Flux, whoa, (laughs) you know? And I just thought I was so adult. I mean, granted, I you know, like I said, I graduated when I was 14 or 15, so of course, I was the most pretentious little adult that you had ever met. You know, I just thought that like, this is, yes, I watch this, oh, you're watching that, mm, mm, mm mm-hmm, you know? I'm glad I've gotten kind of over that.
0: But yeah, they made a movie about it with Charlize Swen, it just didn't translate to what the animation was. The animation um, short. Yeah. And, you know, no, flux. it just
1: it just doesn't. Yeah. And there is a series on there that's called um The Max and I would I would kill to make that into a real film. Um if people don't know, if you don't know what The Max is, you should yeah, check it out. Know, yeah. It there's a comic book series for it too. Okay. And The Max is um basically this homeless man has created the superhero character to take on a um serial rapist murderer that is tracking down all of the women in the city and it turns out that he actually is a superhero but he came into this this dimension and he hit his head and you find out that the serial the rapist serial killer is actually a magician And he goes through portals, and all he wants to do is kill people. And he protects this woman named, um, which also is a social worker, named Julia. Okay. And you think in his mind, in his mind, she is this powerful leopard queen. You know, perfect body, perfect hair. And she fights in this place called the Outback, where he is this all-powerful superhero. And you think that he's delusional. (laughs) <laughs> you think that this homeless man sitting in a box, because it starts out with him sitting in a box in the rain, but when you see him get out of this box, he is this overly sized superhero that's like six foot nine. And I think Dave B- B- Batista, is that his name? Yeah, that's right. Dave Batista would be perfect for it. And then you watch him actually do battle with this serial killer rapist that has these little minions that can transform into anything that you... They transform into old ladies. They transform into babies. And what you see from the outside when he kills these things is him punching an old lady in the face. But it's really these little monsters. So there's so much story to it.
0: It's called The Max, right? It's
1: called The Max. And... You think that he's just insane. And then you realize by the end of the episode is that she really is the she really is this leopard queen. She just forgot who she was. And you see her in real life being this human in the human world. and she's standing in front of the mirror and she's sucking in her stomach, and then all of a sudden you see her let go. And this, like this little pot belly, comes out, you know, or her hair isn't combed. But in his, in in what you think is his fantasy, she's this perfect leopard queen jumping down on people. But in real life, but in the other world where she comes into and she forgets her memory, she is a victim of sexual assault. And he spends this time protecting her away from because she's the only person to survive the serial killer rapist. And as the story progresses, you find out that that serial killer rapist is her uncle. And all of these magical things that he is seeing are real. But for the first film, but I mean, it's, it in no way pulls back on any punches. Not at all.
0: Well, I always don't write safe. Mm -hmm. I always, that's what I usually read. People send me scripts too also to read. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things is, are you writing safe? and if I have catch you writing safe you're not challenging your characters or their characters or you're challenging yourself to, or if you're just finding a little comfortable then I'm going to write back don't write safe mm-hmm. that's my main criticism for the new Hellraiser that was completely safe And I, I it's Hellraiser for God's sakes I want to see challenge shock me yes, we're ready for it it's I just, have
1: such sights to show you yeah but it's
0: for all the positions they picked it seems as still missionary <laughs> Which you don't need to do for Hellraiser. Like, challenge yourself. Like, do something.
1: I think that they were already scared by the fact that they had went with a, you know, female pinhead. But right, yeah. people forget that the man who wrote it is a queer man.
0: Well, it's supposed to, yeah, it's the least anybody's supposed to be, you're not supposed to know if it's a male or female.
1: Yeah, it's and, non-binary. And yeah. he wrote this character as non-binary. Braden's supposed to wear a
0: skirt, right? He wore a skirt for the movie. They tried to, in the 80s, try to project it. But it's... Perfect for casting, but the story for God's sakes—it's Hellraiser.
1: It's Hellraiser. We rip off faces in this house. Have
0: an orgy. Have something. Do mm-hmm. something. Challenges up rather than it was just like I said. Just all the avenues you took missionary.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I mean like have a skinless orgy, like, like something. Because Frank right. was terrifying I like know. frank and when she starts making out with frank and you just want to you just want to you just like feel oh, that coming, like come up in the back of your throat and you're like you just feel that
0: right yeah but in the beginning of the movie is you know jesus weapon and the chains rip everything off mm-hmm. well they're exactly show that in the beginning do something it's hellraiser i mean you're supposed to get you're expected to get shocked and gore and all that stuff. And I just didn't get it. I felt they just wrote too safe.
1: I think that they were just scared because they had already right. felt that they had gone out on a limb having a female Hellraiser. They should be scared. Oh, and it's more like, and, it, and now I feel like now more of these films aren't being made because women are the best ones for the job. It's just more patri- patronizing. It's just patronizing. Please just pick the person who is the best for the job. Yeah. And I felt like they, they were scared because they had know that they were already making this... You know, character that people who don't actually really like horror films think is male. Right. Um, and that's kind of what separates those well, I, of us. I agree
0: with the casting. Yes. I agree with the look of it. The aesthetics is yep. wonderful. But my God, the writing, you need to do something. Have them checked up to bits or something. We see something. Like, you're right. Yeah. Or like, because they concentrated on the movie, concentrated that these things are negotiable. You can negotiate them.
1: Who the hell cares? And you, why would you want the theme of it? Why would you want Hellraiser to be negotiable? Right. Like, I don't want Pinhead to be negotiable. I want Pinhead to be the unrelenting demonic creature that is going to rip you from the face of this right. dimension. Out
0: of all that, like, right? We remember from Hellraiser. They took the little bit of Christy was able to negotiate with them to get out of it.
1: they took 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 that that. and
0: blossomed it for the new one. It's like, I am so mad. Do something. My God. You got these great outfits.
1: Yeah. You have great look. But you know what? I mean, then that's really just like a magazine shoot. You know, you can see that on Instagram. Um, I come to Hellraiser to be terrified. (laughs)
0: Right. I don't expect it right to be safe. I don't don't want to be be safe. safe. Right. And I I feel, you know what?
1: It's like now that I have somebody helped me discover Cassavetes, yeah. it started to show me how safe everything that we have been watching for the last 10 years is. No, it, it, it no I'm not a-
0: talking about like, challenge yourself, shock, exaggerations. I love that. That's what I want to see. But also one of the best scripts was Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. And that was an awesome original screenplay because the person challenged herself, that character, throughout their whole process was doing something. You just want to tell that character, please stop and just get over it. And she's not going to till the point, the point she crashes and burns, but that's she's challenging. Right, you challenge. And as riders, a woman,
1: right? you don't want her to stop. No, for me as a woman. I loved what she was doing right like I feel like a man like you're like I feel like men just feel differently about it because you know men are not yeah. never really in the position where they have to watch themselves be victimized
0: right and that's the translation to how I perceive then I changed like that challenged myself maybe I'm wrong about this mm-hmm. so I have to but that's what the script is all about
1: and for me as a woman hell yeah get them all get yeah. them get them do it yeah. for me like yeah. as a woman because oftentimes like I've even been in this situation this mad
0: crusade that she's you know and she's everybody including me like
1: could you just stop and nope. from, and and as nope. a woman I don't want her to stop I want her to be the avenging angel that takes these people out right. and I think that that also brings a little question in mind like um like because of how just being a woman in general right there's so many times like and I've had this happen to me well this guy did this to me but he's so nice and it's just like
0: oh that excuses it
1: right and So what if he's nice? Well, he couldn't have done that, look at him. He's always been nice to me and that's what men tell women when we say, well, your friend did this thing to me or this person did this to me. Well, he's always been nice to me. Well, maybe it's because you don't have a vagina, bruh. Um, (laughs) I mean, that's reality right there. He's always been so nice to me. Well, that's because you have a vagina. That's because you don't have a vagina. And he's in front of people. I always say if serial killers walked around looking like serial killers, then nobody would ever die. No. We would automatically go, that guy? That guy right there. Right. You know, it's like when well, the men- first, you
0: know, they just arrested the guy for the, for the Delphi murders. And mm-hmm. the first thing is like, well, he looks like just one of, you know, he's a normal, soft, approachable dude. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's the whole point. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean. Not all of them are going to be like Richard Ramirez that you could just see out. Right oh yeah that's and
1: women were still attracted to richard ramirez getting
0: love letters right
1: you sick puppies i mean granted yo (laughs) the scars guard though like even if he is playing it i'd be like well you know um yeah (laughs) well
0: it's negotiable it's negotiable
1: you can can negotiate with it yeah like you know um kill me right after you take your shirt off (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey! I I realized that's the
0: whole point of I and mean, I, we I, we talked about this before M- through my theme and essay. The core of all horror films is femininity
1: or misogyny. There's yes. a little and bit of both. It's it's, a two they dance with each other.
0: Feminism is a retrospective. Are you investigating about it or is what's being attacked?
1: Mm-hmm. And it's Ex- not so absolutely. much
0: a hero, but you It's if you're not thinking about it. Then, what the hell are you writing a horror film? Because all horror films are concentrated on are you attacking women, you know, misogyny, or are you trying to analyze what is feminine, like Hellraiser, what is Andromedy, right? What is feminism?
1: I mean, in the end, everything's about, everything is kind of about that, considering that all life starts from vaginas. Yeah. You're like, it's always gonna be kind of around that. And there's so many men who are just upset about that, but that's just what it is. Reality yeah. is you were born out of a vagina, get over it. Um, and it's like, uh, back to what we were just talking, touched upon earlier, is it's like what Wednesday Adams said. Well, what costume do you have on? I'm a homicidal maniac. <laughs> but you just look like, you, it's just your normal clothes. Yeah. That's because homicidal maniacs look like everybody else. And we forget that we forget that these crazy people are not are not walking around crazy. John Wayne Gacy was a neighborhood clown and volunteered at the fire department and literally ate people. Literally had a house buried of bodies underneath. Like the more normal, the more friendly, the more. Well, that's
0: the way they're masking, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it's like your predator. You fit your environment. So yeah, you a off. predator
1: hunts for its environment. Yeah. Um, so, and, um, I mean, that's kind of like what's going on with Ouroboros. I know we're, we're going on all kinds of topics, uh, blame.
0: That's why I like talking with you. Cause we, we, we take the nice cynic route.
1: Oh yeah, we always do. I say, I blame ADHD or I could just say, you know, I'm just, I'm just eccentric like that. It's really just ADHD y'all. Um, it's really just ADHD y'all. Um, and that's kind of like with Ouroboros. Um, I showed Ouroboros in a movie theater here in Minneapolis, and I could see men visibly uncomfortable about it. Good. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing.
0: Good, get uncomfortable.
1: Get uncomfortable. Because Ouroboros is about a black female serial killer. And the reason that I went that route is because I had been trying to make a movie, excuse me, a movie about four years ago. And I had men that were working on the film come up and tell me that women don't find seeing rapists get attacked empowering. And he said, well my girlfriend told me, and I was just like, her especially, thinks about killing you on a daily basis. She's literally probably over you at night with a pillow over your face, because that's what she's gonna tell you. Um, And yes, some women do not find watching people who have attacked women empowering and that woman is not me, nor most of the women that I know. We love watching when people, when we, who are normally always in the position of victimization, and the only way that we tend to become heroes is after being so victimized, like I spit on your grave, that we have to find the strength in us to take on these mask. No, there are definitely women who will kill you in your sleep if the law was not there. Like, we, we have... We have created this idea through these films that, these, that women do not feel the urge or are empowered by watching people who victimize us get victimized. Take a walk, y'all, because that's reality. The reality is, is that women think about it all the time, but we think about the consequences that go along with it. Um, and this movie takes away those consequences. The movie that I made takes away the consequences of it, and it literally makes men uncomfortable because they're not used to being the victim. They're not used to being the powerless one when it comes to films. And that—and I mean, that literally was because a man told me, well, women aren't capable of that kind of violence. They don't feel that kind of violence. Okay, tell yourself that fantasy. Whatever your, yeah, 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 your girlfriend, she totally doesn't think about killing you. That's why she told you that. She totally doesn't think about poisoning your coffee on a regular basis. Of course a woman would never think like that, come on. Let's be real with ourselves. And But that was
0: the controversy with the film I Spent on a grave that mm-hmm. you needed to viscerate her as a catalyst yes. of the story. And a lot of essays are coming out now that are understandably, but every movie do you need to point of the whole movie is do you need to assault a woman to get the story going? And I'm challenging that myself when I'm doing I'm doing a horror comic book called Mallory, um, with written with my niece Ruby. And we're trying to stay we're trying to have a horror element, but we don't need to have an excuse of viscerating a woman as a catalyst for the story. Yes. You need some other avenues that you could present horror with just not that male centric kind of view. oh my god a woman got raped and murdered and that's the start of all the whole like detective movies too
1: yeah detective yeah. movies yeah. it's the whole point of like uh svu yeah. uh you know in this crime there in this city there are some crimes that are especially heinous you know it's it's been the focal point of of so but, many so many nowadays, films and media
0: right but nowadays and, the the new challenge and new films coming out like horror movies like pearl is a great mm-hmm. i love pearl um, with her she's in control of her but she's delusional but she's control <laughs> of all her factor you know all of her she yeah. handles the story even though she's delusional and oh, movies yeah. like x which is kind of like a serial you know killer but the sewer, you know the, the slasher in it is female as well that's mm-hmm. the girl and barbarian has a s- eccentric feminism thing to it is mm-hmm. misogyny attack, attacking femininity but femininity wins out as well mm-hmm. so i think people are challenging themselves and i'm hopefully right that we don't need a girl to start the story no even in, not being a horror movie as well
1: yeah like <laughs> this is why i'm in facebook jail yeah. because i had this discussion and i said women can be crazy all on our own yeah. i do not need you to i do not need to be attacked to be insane <laughs> i don't like i think we can we can pull that from a natural source from inside of us um but yeah. You, yeah
0: embrace it with your writing right yeah
1: embrace I mean, it flip it on
0: its head Make, you know, make men uncomfortable seeing a horror movie. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, right. yeah. You get to be on. Un- oh, wow. You get to be uncomfortable now. Um, Like, just not like movies I spit on your grave or the hills have eyes. Like the remake. I was like, I don't need to watch that. That didn't need to happen. Like that, that exaggerated, like uh, attack scene, like uh, essay scene. That didn't need to happen. And I'd be like, why is this here? And as a female horror fan, um, it's. I'm a female horror fan, and I'm a female hip hop fan. Um, yeah, yeah. I got to spend a lot of time being like, you know what? It's only a song. You know what? You know what? It's only a movie. I got to spend a lot of time doing a lot of mental gymnastics in order to enjoy, like, you know, the a lot of the things that I like. I love horror movies. Do I want to watch a woman eviscerated every time I watch? No. But I know that when I watch anything, I run the risk of that and that's just yeah. frustrating and obnoxious. Um, and even female like in just like I said with hip hop, even female hip hop fans support the misogyny, even female hip hop artists ha- support misogyny and it becomes this like it becomes a um, what is the word? a love-hate relationship with these films.
0: Right, and we have that especially with 80s horror movies because mm-hmm. it's a very there's a lot of exploitative stuff mm-hmm. but there's a lot of advances Yes, The horror with technical as well as, but there's still that maintain of, well, they're at the the camp, but we need a shower scene. Yeah. Why do we need a shower scene? Well, why not? Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or uh, what is that one movie, Sleepaway Camp? That's the only time I thought a shower scene was amazing.
0: <laughs> Sleepaway
1: Camp was amazing because right. what well, you Slumber
0: Party Massacre that mm-hmm. was, um, Amy, and mm-hmm. she directed it, she wrote it, mm-hmm. and she they had a shower scene, but she made it as most unpleasant you know, yes like, even if you're a guy you're all naked taking a shower like my god the shower is disgusting can we just move on and she yeah. holds it like you want a shower scene right yeah
1: you want a shower scene I gave you a shower scene <laughs> and like there's full frontal nudity in Sleepaway
0: I it hear- may not
1: be the nudity that you want though uh,
0: the person that directed Barbarian Zach Cleger oh Um, from the whitest guys you know Mm-hmm. Which is kind of weird because he comes from comedy, but he—I like the movie Barbarian, I mentioned it. But I'm sure somebody, one of the producers said, "Can we have frontal nudity?"
1: Yeah, female of frontal
0: nudity. And I'm sure that's a play. It's mark in his eye. He goes, "Oh, we're gonna have frontal nudity, just not yeah. the way you think. Just we're gonna have it." So I'm sure it was in the notes. Have, yeah, put frontal nudity, but it's just yeah. not absolutely not the way that you think it's gonna be.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> like there's there's definitely some like executive going, "This just isn't sexy enough." Yeah. Men aren't going to like it. And he turned it
0: on. Is, if you've seen the movie, I know you know what I'm talking about. I there's, have not seen it yet. There's female nudity in it, but it's nothing you, you want. It's nothing do. that
1: you want. <laughs> no, <exactly>. It's nothing <laughs> that you're trying to see. I have not seen Barbarian yet. I even had free tickets for it. Oh, you, know, you did? And, I mean, work.
0: Yeah, I know. I, yeah. I
1: work nonstop. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm i deuced. You know, like I said, there's Ouroboros, the film that I am getting on to be even though, you know, it's... Whew,
0: it's tough for me cuz we have I mean X was good. Mm-hmm. That was good. Pearl was excellent. I love Smile. I yeah. loved um, I love Barbarian. There's good horror movies out there. I haven't yet to see Terrifier 2. Mm-hmm. But Terrifier 2 is how disgusting you want to go. Yeah. That's the oh, whole yeah. point of it. How you want to make me vomit. Go ahead. I'll- I'll, I'm up for the challenge <laughs> You
1: yeah. know what I've never met a movie That actually made me want Like uh, a horror movie Like gore I love gore Yeah that, There's nothing you could do That's gory That's gonna make me like You know Lose it The only thing that ever Made me lose it Was two girls one cup That's I've, the only thing That ever okay. made me Made me Be like okay That's enough And I hate you For showing it to me
0: <laughs> There is Well there's one movie um, Irreversible By Gasper mm-hmm. Noir I'll mm. never watch that movie again, and it's, it's so far disturbing. It's nothing gory, but it's um, it's so far disturbing that I'm I'm one and done.
1: I feel like it, that about Requiem, Requiem for a Dream.
0: Yeah, that um, was. It's not it's not even considered a horror movie, but that is so yeah uncomfortable.
1: That, I am that's butt
0: puckering. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I refuse to ever cry like that again in yeah. any film. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I love Requiem. I think it is the best movie that I've ever seen that I will never watch again.
0: Jared trying, Jared Leto trying to find a vein in his.
1: Uh, uh, Oh, no, 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 no. The scene that got me was ass to ass. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and my, (laughs) and my whole body just, like my whole body just shut down. I just needed to (laughs) hug myself. Um. I remember watching that movie in a dorm room. Um, oh, was, that's
0: not a give. That, you out there with a group of people?
1: Uh, yeah,
0: that's not it. Yeah,
1: i wa No, it was actually everybody else was like sleep or whatever, and I remember okay. watching it by myself. And I pretty am sure that they could hear me audibly sobbing throughout the whole hall. Um, that is the one movie I love, but I'm never going to watch again.
0: Yeah, it's it, it, the whole theme is addiction. Yeah.
1: yeah and
0: what you go through to get to your addiction how mm -hmm. all the avenues you take rather than just stop
1: yeah and i mean sometimes you just can't you know because people we we see addicts as these horrible people but that's not what they are addicts are people who um need help coping with what's going on with the world around them you know um I feel like the way that America approaches addiction is the reason why we have these addiction problems and other countries treat it as in this person needs help. And then places like Amsterdam, places like all of these right. don't have the same problems I agree. That we Criminalizing
0: do. addiction is yeah. not the avenue.
1: Criminalizing addiction isn't going to help people who are already, uh, it's not the pills, it's the way the pills make them feel. It's not the heroin, it's the way the heroin makes them feel.
0: Well, I have had this conversation because you know, think alcoholics, joy mm-hmm. alcohol, and it's like, you ever seen alcoholics sit there and make a martini? No, no they're trying to—they're drinking cans of Miller Light, thirty <laughs> yeah. cans of Budweiser, right? They already picked their brand. And yeah, they're, they're just, just gonna, trying to
1: get drunk. They're—they're they're trying to get to the feeling.
0: Yeah, you know, which I love. All, I'll try Manhattan. I love Cosmopolitan's. I'll mm-hmm. have them. I'll, I'll make an old fashioned. That I like that drinking. But you tell people I like drinking. Well, what, what's wrong with you? It's like. <laughs>
1: When you tell people after a certain age you like drinking, Got yeah. cussed up to another age. I like drinking. Woo! When yeah. we going out? Eh, 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 twerking it's hard on to, the bar. For the perception like because
0: you. Then you have a problem if you say, mm-hmm. I like enjoying a drink. Mm-hmm. I like drinking alcohol. But it's not, I'm, an, I'm not going to sit there and pound 30 cases of beer every day because there's something I want to, you know, I need to feel something. Mm-hmm. And that's addiction. People think you're signed, you're an alcoholic, you must love alcohol. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the part of the addiction. Addiction mm-hmm. is that's a coping mechanism for something I don't want to address.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I'm going to be gangster with you. I love weed.
0: <laughs> yeah, you do. You, you, I you, love weed. I love drinking, and you love weed. Yeah. I
1: love weed. Yeah. I'm not well, going to say poor, that, that I don't. That, that's
0: background <laughs> high, right? That's background. If you want, I mean, alcohol. That's full frontal in your face. Yeah, inebriated, but like.
1: There's well, a we, big difference. We,
0: that's that's like background high. That's like high, but it's like five feet behind you.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Where you're like, oh, what
0: was I doing again? Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Uh, for me, I yeah. am the opposite because I am such really? a type A personality.
0: That it's up front?
1: That it is – that I'm always up front. Okay. And my brain is usually just running a million miles an hour. Like I've been suffering from insomnia since I was like five. And I never just stop thinking. It never turns off. Oh, you never watch one
0: of my films, then. That'll put you
1: to sleep. <laughs> it never turns off. I never stop thinking. And for me... Um,
0: well, put Barry Lyndon on. That'll put you to sleep.
1: <laughs> no, that doesn't put me to sleep either. Right, right.
0: Barry Lyndon okay. All right.
1: I'm still like, let's run a race. You guys up? Yeah. yeah. And for me, it helps. It just helps me bring down the type A personality because yeah, I am so prone to burnout because I think I can do all of it. And then I do do all of it. And then I'm burnt out. And then I can't work. So it helps me just ah, decompress. Yeah. And even when I try to quit, though, like, which probably doesn't make it sound really good. Even when I try to quit, though, people will just be like, oh, man, you know what I got for you for free? Weed. <laughs> and I'm like, but I'm trying to. Yeah, OK, let's do this, y'all. <laughs>
0: right. When I, uh, I go to the liquor store, uh-huh. if I don't go to the liquor store, my dog because he puts doggy treats in my bag. Aww, for the puppies, cute. but if I don't go to liquor store, the dogs are like, "Hey, what's up?" You
1: know? I mean, you could get dog treats without going to the liquor know, store, right? but it, it's kind of like, right?
0: <laughs> it's easier just to.
1: They've incentivized yeah. you. They have incentivized you, and they use Pavlov's method in order to keep yeah. you getting back to the liquor I know store. That's
0: helpful. <laughs>
1: right. Um, yeah. but yeah, um, I don't even know how we got here. Let's get back to. The... Yeah, you see, this is this is called ADHD, y'all.
0: Well, ask, do you smoke and write, do you, or is this do you just chill?
1: Oh, I I am the person that smokes and cleans their entire house.
0: Okay, all right. Um,
1: I write, um, yeah. I draw, I direct, I do everything on it, because most of the time I'm so hyper focused that if I'm if I'm like focused on it because I'm a type A, it must be done. I will do nothing else. I will not sleep. I will not eat. Um, my father is exactly the same way too. <laughs> um but
0: okay so it's it it you it when you're it's not just you're just zoning out but it's, oh no that's when yeah. i work out yeah that's when
1: i cook because it's the one time where i can relax enough where i can go oh there's all these other things in my life that i need to do yeah. instead of just being hyper focused on this movie must be done now now not tomorrow but now it helps me not be the hyper focused overachieving type a personality because i am um, it helps me be a lot more chill with things around me.
0: Madeline, thanks for coming.
1: Oh yeah. Love, thank you. I love doing these shows.
0: I don't, I should, we should get, i always, always, I'll always end this, but I would love to have your own podcast.
1: I would like to do a
0: podcast. I'm still busy doing other things.
1: I, but you know what? I really need to do a film podcast. It's the thing yeah. that I live for. I'm running a Roku channel. I'm making more movies. I'm still acting. I'm still I'm still acting. I'm still doing everything on film sets and just trying to um kind trying to kind of live this fantasy because I realized that I am lucky enough to do the thing that I wanted to do when I was a kid. I have been blessed in this life to live the dream that I've always wanted. This is the dream that I made and the promise that I made to myself when I was five years old. And I'm doing it. And I have to think how rare and special of an opportunity that I get to do the thing that I have loved all my life. Love it.
0: Love it. So with that, it's perfect time to say it's not over till the guest says it's over.
1: Well... I guess the fat lady is singing. It's over. There we go. (laughs)